Hey everyone, a couple things before we get started with today's episode of Beyond the Books with Matt Zielinski. You might notice this episode is not as picture-heavy as some of the other episodes are. Uh, Matt Zielinski does not have much of a social media profile, and that's actually one of the things that we'll be talking about during this episode. Uh, so just a note there. Um, otherwise, just a couple thank yous to um, some helpers of this episode. First to Brett Laus uh, for the podcast logo. Uh, please check out his website at www.brett-laux.squarespace.com. And also thank you to Dalton Bates uh, for the voiceover work. Check out his website at www.daltonbates.com. All right, everyone. Uh, enjoy today's episode with Matt Zielinski, originally recorded on March 14th, 2021. And now, here's this episode of Beyond the Books with your host, Alex Chong. Today's forecast, mostly cloudy skies and 53 degrees. Perfect conditions for a podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Alex. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Books, where we go deep into the backgrounds and stories of our future healthcare heroes. Again, that means my name is Alex, and we have a very special guest today. Um, he, whether he is living on the East Coast or whether he's living in the Midwest, he has done some incredible things. So without further ado, let's bring in our guest. And here's our guest, Matt Zielinski. Matt, how are you? Doing very well, Sean. All right. How's your weekend been? <laughs> good. Yeah, good. Uh, finished up last rotation of third year. So just kind of relaxing a little bit, gearing up for the wedding. And uh, yeah, all is well. There we go. More on the wedding later in this podcast. But Matt, before we get into this episode, I have one question for you. Yeah, what's up? All right, we got one mission today. Our mission is that we're going to prove that you, Matt Zielinski, are more than just a medical student. How does that sound? I think we can do that. I'd say I'm probably uh, less of a medical student than some of all these other people that you've <laughs> But yeah, sure. Let's 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 get after it. Let's all right, it. let's go to it then. So you were you were. Um, born in New York and you grew up in the west side of New York and then you actually moved to Montgomery, New Jersey um, during your middle during your middle school and beginning of high school years. Um, and one of my friends told me that you and him um, spent the summers working at various country clubs, tennis clubs as a lifeguard in camps and those kind of things. And he remembers those as pretty memorable summers on the East Coast. What do you personally remember about um, those summers out in out on the East Coast? Yeah, I mean, uh, my my guess is you must have reached out to Freel, Brian Freel, and uh, he and I were pretty inseparable, you know, uh, growing up. So I would say he was pretty much a, a brother to me, and he still is. But um, yeah, I don't know. We uh, we worked at all different kinds of places. Cherry Valley Country Club was one of them that we spent a couple summers at. Um, Cherry Valley, uh, we worked at for a couple summers. Uh, I'm just trying to think. We also worked at uh, Pretty Brick Tennis Club was another one. It was a pretty ritzy tennis club. And so they were, uh, it's just kind of like old Princeton wealth, I guess, that uh, that worked there. and uh, Or that were members there. And Brian and I were lifeguards there. And then we also maintained like the tennis courts and uh, our boss Bill loved us because we were pretty handy dudes, and so we were always just, you know, fixing up different things that needed to be, uh, I don't know, maintained. Golf carts, you know, uh, all different kinds of things. Working on 
um, just things that were around the tennis club. But so is it true, Matt, that um, during I think I think it was one of your college years, you actually um, applied for a grant in Princeton so you could live on nearby on Mount on Mount Lucas Road just so you could be able to work again as a lifeguard or as part of the country club um, during one of the summers. Say that again. What say that? What, what was that? So like? Brian told me that like you um, applied for a grant so you could stay at somewhere near Princeton University um, uh-huh. over the summer, and uh, you're able to get that grant, and um, thus you're able to still work um, as one of those jobs um, one during one of the summers. Uh, sure. What can you tell me about that? So I think <clears throat> he's he's probably mixing something up, but uh, that summer that I lived on Mount Lucas Road was uh the summer that i worked for special olympics or one of the one of the summers i worked for special olympics so for i would say the most the majority of high school um we were just working different odd jobs you know as lifeguards and stuff like we were just talking about cherry valley and uh then pretty brick tennis club but then when i went to holy cross uh i came back to princeton and that's when my parents kind of moved out to indiana and i worked for special olympics so I had an apartment down, it was like, I don't know, a couple blocks off of Nassau Street, which is like the main strip in Princeton. So it's pretty sweet, but yeah, I don't know what grant he's talking about. I'm trying to think. They had like, they had a summer, there was a summer program where I was like a, I was a coach for the Special Olympics, but I was also uh, an intern on the TD Bank campaign. So one of the largest, um, the largest, uh, what would you say? Like not contributor, but like not beneficiary either. Um, the largest like donator, I would say for special Olympics along the whole Eastern coast is law enforcement. So state police. Um, and then the second one is TD bank. So it was the sweet, one of the sweetest summers I ever had, because I would just take all of these, I'd meet all these different incredible athletes. And then we'd go to all these different TD break, uh, TD bank branches, across like the state of New Jersey and just say thank you and like here you know these are the athletes and this is what they were able to do some of them went to a you know national games out in Los Angeles California and they were swimmers or gymnasts or bowlers and then some of the other ones went to Athens Greece and competed in you know basketball or floor hockey or something like that but I think that's probably what he's talking about yeah so what was this how did you fall into this um, TD bank um, position like what led you to it uh so there was a time when i was okay at hockey and that was kind of my (laughs) life yeah that was uh that was kind of my whole everything that i would say consumed my every day um and i got a pretty bad staph infection which is part of the part of the thing or part of the reason or like the appeal to medical school so i got a bad staph infection anyway and uh i almost lost my leg and thankfully I didn't, but, um, after I got surgery, they had asked me, um, my confirmation sponsor in high school, um, Janine Leppert, she worked for Special Olympics, New Jersey. And she said, Hey, you know, obviously she came and visited me in the hospital and stuff. And she's like, Hey, I don't know what your plans are, you know, for the next, you know, couple of years. And if you're going to try to still play hockey in college and X and Y and Z, but I would, uh, I would encourage you to check out Special Olympics. I think you they've got a similar mission statement to what you've kind of experienced, you know? And so, uh, I, 
hockey was everything that I associated myself with. And then it just completely got stripped from me. So then I went to Special Olympics and volunteered and it was like the coolest thing on the planet. It completely, uh, it broke down every barrier I think that I had had like previously. Um, and uh, it didn't matter if, you know, the kid had uh, Down syndrome or they were autistic or, you know, they were white or they were black or Asian, doesn't matter. If, they, if Tommy could shoot the jump shot or the three, you know, the ball was going to him. It wasn't going to me, I can't play basketball. <laughs> But it went to him. And uh, yeah, it was sweet. Special Olympics has always got a, it will always have a special place in my heart because I would say that that kind of redirected me for all of the better reasons, you know? Yeah. And I actually have more about your hockey years and the time you worked in Special Olympics as well. But before we okay. get to that, I'm just curious as someone who's lived extensively both on the East Coast and in the Midwest. Sure. You know how like regions of the U.S. people say that like the stereotypes of the East Coast stereotype, blah blah blah. Yeah. Do you find big differences when you live in the East Coast and the Midwest? Or are they more similar than most people might think? No, I think that's a very valid question, and I have this conversation. I would say with more, I have this conversation with people more often than not. Um, and my assessment, or like what I would say, is. I love the East Coast. I've got a lot of friends and family that are still living out there. My sister's living out there. A lot of my really good childhood friends, a lot of my college buddies, a lot of people that are going to be at our wedding. Um, but one of the biggest differences, I would say, is the East. If you're living on the East Coast, you know, everybody in like New York or Boston, and this might be a little bit of a stereotype, but like there's a lot of really good people, a lot of great people. Everybody works really hard. But I think that the goal is more focused on like people's, like their own success. They're not as focused on like other people's success. So the thing that's special about Indiana, I can't speak to other, you know, Midwest states because I haven't really lived in them. But um, I would say one of the things that's so special about Indiana, or at least in my experiences, are um, people work really hard in Indiana and they're also willing to help you out if you need, you know, you kind of need some direction or, you, you know, you're trying to get to the next step, but you don't know who to talk to, or you don't know where to go from here. You don't know where to go from there. So, um, yeah, I would say that, uh, that's probably the biggest difference. It's like people are just focused more on themselves on the East coast, I would say. And in the Midwest, I really like, like the, like collectivity of, you know, willing to help others, I guess. So, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Have you ever considered like where, let's say you're all settled, life's good, everything's great. Uh, yeah. Have you ever considered going going out West and living there for a little bit? Or do you think the Midwest or the East Coast is forever home for you? Uh, I'd say that's the million dollar question, Chong. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you told me that I would go to med school in Indiana, I would tell you you're crazy. Mm -hmm. And if you told me that I was going to like, find a wife or find a girlfriend and then you know fall in love with her and then marry a girl from indiana i would also say you're crazy and then if you told me that i would potentially live in indiana i would say there's no like there's no chance but i couldn't be happier with all of those things you know so uh your question is would i go out west i would love to um but i think that's a conversation that emily and i need to have you know and that's that conversation's coming with residency and you know she's here for obviously a couple more years and um just makes things a little difficult but i love i love going different places and just you know kind of figuring it out so i'd love to go west i think salt lake city i mean i've traveled out there a bunch but 
Salt Lake City or Colorado. California is a little little interesting. I don't know if I'd want to live there. It's really <laughs> expensive, and some of those people are a little crazy. But Utah, Montana. I don't think Emily would fly with Montana or Idaho, but I'd love to go up there. It'd be sweet. <laughs> All right, Matt, you've, we've touched a little bit on your um, athletic success. Uh, obviously, you've done a little bit of tennis. Um, I heard you about your successes in baseball, including when you took some time off and just hopped on the baseball team and hit like a 500 batting average or something crazy like that. <laughs> but the sport I really want to key on is what we talked about earlier, and it's a great sport of hockey because it's been a okay. big part of your life, um, especially yeah. during your childhood. So I, I'll just start, I'll just kind of start wide here. What got you so much into the sport of hockey and when you were younger? Huh. Um, I started when I was three, but I don't know. Oh my goodness! I can't, yeah, I I can't say that there was like. Um, Fredonia State is the first place that I ever skated at. Um, it's in upstate New York, uh, just south of Buffalo in Fredonia, but uh, it's one of the SUNY schools, and so I started skating there. I think my parents brought me there just to do like a, I don't know, just a, you know, free skate or something like that. And I was pushing a chair, you know, just to start. And then by the end of it, like I wasn't pushing a chair and I just picked it up kind of quick and I loved it. And then my parents were like, Hey, maybe we should try to play like put them on a hockey team. So then I started playing hockey and uh, yeah, I don't, the upstate New York's got a, it's a pretty big hockey community. So I started playing with the, uh, the junior Sabres at the time, it was like, you know, the, the travel team that was kind of local and obviously the Buffalo Sabres. So, uh, yeah, it was cool. We played in a bunch of different hockey tournaments and, um, it was a, it was always something that I did, you know, and I think I loved hockey cause it was just so fast paced and like the camaraderie with all your buddies. And, you know, it was, uh, it was very easy to make friends and just kind of grow up playing hockey. And, then, you know, you were talking about baseball, but baseball was, I love baseball too, because you go into the springtime, weather gets nice out and you just go out and, you know, shag some flies and throw some, uh, you know, uh, batting practice and uh, I don't know, take some grounders. So I loved hockey because it was so fast. And I think I loved baseball because it was so much slower than, you know, hockey. So I really appreciated both, but yeah, I would, the, the answer to the, your first question is hockey is a huge a huge thing up in upstate New York. So I just got involved in it at a young age and I think I just kept playing. And not only were you playing, you're pretty good at it too. So um, you first played at Montgomery High School, um, go Cougars. And then in fact, you actually, when you're terrorizing ice rinks in Somerset County, you're so good that I think you got recruited by um, a pretty nice school called the Williston Northampton School in Massachusetts. Um, and you went there for hockey. What was it like, uh, you know, you're midway through your high school career and all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's this opportunity for you here um, to go play hockey in the school. What was that like for you? Yeah. Uh, hey, stop barking. <laughs> hey, hey, Emily, can you call him? Um, sorry, Charlie. <laughs> you're good. Uh, yeah, so... Um, all of my buds were in Montgomery and, um, you know, there was a guy, Kevin, Kevin Moore, he was a hockey goalie and he said that, you know, I think we got to go out and play boarding school hockey if you want to kind of take it to the next level. So he was a couple years ahead of me. He was in my sister's class. And so he went off to boarding 
school and did that. And then he always just tried to convince me. He's like, hey, man, you're good enough and you should think about pursuing, you know, like hockey and boarding school. So I applied to a couple of different schools and um, Williston was interesting because that's where he went. And so I went up there, interviewed and talked to the coach and stuff. And at the time that I was like hearing back from these schools, I got into Williston and then all of a sudden I had that staph infection. And mm. on the one hand, I've got the orthopedic surgeons in Princeton telling me that I'm going to lose my leg and I'm never going to play hockey again, you know, ever. Uh, and then I've got, you know, coach Derek Cunha over here in Springfield, Mass, telling me that can't wait to have me, you know, in the fall. So it was kind of interesting. It was a, it was a pretty interesting time. Um, I came out of the hospital with my leg, thankfully. Yeah. And then the real question, the real question was, do I still go to boarding school or not? And do I still go, you know, pursue this like hockey dream slash, you know, kind of figuring out like what I want to do with my life. Uh, and so I decided my dad is an engineer and he fixed up a pretty cool skate for me that took like all the pressure off of my ankle so that I could mm. still skate. I didn't have the same agility and I, I couldn't play as well as I could prior, but Anyway, I decided to still pursue it, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Boarding school was was uh, incredible. Yeah, there you go, Williston. Yeah, Wildcats, baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you were a defenseman for pretty much your whole hockey career. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right. But one of your teammates told me that um, something you were pretty good at was something called like an end-to-end goal, which with okay, I have a limited amount of hockey experience, but kind of how I understand <laughs> is like. You're a defenseman, right? So like people would yeah. think that you just kind of stand near the goal and kind of be like the person before the goalie has to stop the puck. But something yeah. that people told me you were good at is that not only did you make sure that the puck doesn't go anywhere near the goal, you actually took it upon yourself to, since there's an open opportunity to go score a goal yourself on the other end. Um, my question for you though is, uh, when does like when does a player know that like it, there's a good opportunity here? Because you have, you, as you said before, hockey is such a fast game. You kind of have to make a snap decision of where to hold back, keep keep a good defense, or where to go offense and go really hard and try to score. How did you know in your head like what were some key things to like quickly look out for when trying to make that decision? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, hockey's uh, hockey's a game of like open space. I mean, just kind of like soccer and. I'd say lacrosse too, like most other sports, football as well. So, you know, the, the more open space you can get into and the faster you can get into that open space, the better off you'll be. So for hockey, if you see like, you know, open space in hockey and you're fast enough to, to get to those gaps or get to those places, um, you're, you know, like the, the world is your oyster. You can kind of do whatever it is that you want to do with the puck. So if you're, if you're comfortable enough handling the puck, and you're fast enough to get into that open space and no one can get the puck away from you, then, you know, it's kind of a recipe for success. So I was very fortunate that like, I don't know, I think it was just, I had longer legs so I could skate a little quicker. And so, uh, I don't know, my, my favorite thing was taking the puck away from the other team, like you were talking about in the defensive zone, then skating it up. Sometimes we call it like rushing the puck and uh, bring it up to the, the forwards and then dish it off to them. I always, I always had more satisfaction passing it off to the forwards and having those guys go like, you know, crossbar down or, you know, some, some sweet goal. Um, I didn't, 
I was a pretty selfless or yeah, self selfless player. Uh, there's some like defensemen that are a little not selfish, but you could you could take the puck up and you could try scoring yourself. And if you've got four other guys out there and they're just open and they're like, hey man, how come you're not passing the puck to me? Uh, it doesn't look particularly good. So I would say the craft that I kind of tried to improve upon and was probably one of my stronger talents was I could skate quickly and then I'd go into the open space in the offensive zone and those all of their players would try to come to me and get the puck away from me and then it would open up guys like you on the other side of the ice I'd pass it to you and then you'd go crossbar down or you know backdoor goal or something like that so yeah gotcha gotcha all right and um let's say you couldn't be a defenseman for like one or two games for whatever reason. Um, is mm -hmm. there another position that you would love to play besides defenseman when you get, when you get to play hockey? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, you know, I love defense because you're involved in every play. And so as a defenseman, you could play a little bit of goalie. If you're fast enough, like you could take the puck up, like we were just talking about into the offensive zone and you can play a little forward. And then of course you're a defenseman by default. So you're playing defense. So you get to play all three positions, you know, like you can block the puck, you can, you know, uh, skate the puck up, or you can just try to take the puck away from the other guys as a forward, which is probably the answer to your question. I've played forward a couple of times. I enjoy it, but I don't enjoy it as much as playing defense because you don't have the same, like you can't, you can't play all the positions. You know, like there's certain things you're further up in the in the neutral zone in the offensive zone. So you don't get a chance to like, you know, play defense. You don't get a chance to really, uh, you know, play play goalie as well. So if I had to, I would probably play center. But okay. I much prefer playing defense just because you get to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. You spoke you spoke earlier of trying to be a selfless teammate um, for your guys and your team here. I actually mm -hmm. spoke to one of your um, ex-teammates, uh, a guy named Justin Alejandro. Um, yeah, just. I remember him. And um, yeah. he, he said something. He, I asked him, like, hey, what was Matt like as a teammate and what was Matt like um, off the ice as well? And uh, I'll show you the quote, that the text that he sent me, because I think uh, it was really, really sweet. Uh, so I'll put it on the screen, but um, I'll also read it out for those listening on Spotify as well. So. Okay. Let me pull up the quote here and I'll let you read it here. So Justin had to say about Matt, quote, he was one of the best teammates I ever had, which is why we became such great friends to this day. He truly cared about everyone on the team and in the community. He was willing to help anyone, whether it be with schoolwork or teaching them a sport or skill. Even if he was extremely busy and had his own work to do, he would put it aside to help everyone and then spend the extra time to make sure his work was complete. Um, so what was it like having the guys on a team and what's your reaction to, um, this quote that Justin had to say for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just, and I kind of go way back. Um, we, we met at Williston and, uh, we actually met, yeah, at Williston in most boarding schools, you have to play three sports. So I met, oh, wow. Justin. <laughs> yeah. So we, we both tried out for the soccer team and we didn't know anybody. So, we both made the team. We kind of always joke because he doesn't, he denies this, but uh, I remember when we went for preseason for soccer, it was, it was pretty toasty out there. And 
Justin comes up to me and he's like, Hey man, like what's going on? What's your deal? Where are you from? And so we introduce ourselves and, uh, he says to me, um, I don't think we're going to have any trouble making this soccer team. And <laughs> it kind of, it kind of, it kind of caught me off guard. Uh, I still give him a lot of shit to this day about it because, <laughs> you know, uh, I, it just, I was, I, those words would never come out of my mouth, but I think I appreciated it so much and I gave him such a hard time. I still give him a hard time to this day about it that he, uh, we just laugh about it, but yeah, I mean, just, he's an incredible guy. Um, he has been there for, uh, all the good things and all the bad things, I would say the things that I've gone through and in, in, you know, my, my kind of life up to this point. Um, he's always been there. If I told him, Hey man, like I need you to be out here tomorrow at, you know, 3 PM and he wouldn't ask any questions. He'd say, all right, I'll book the next flight out. And I think that kind of goes back to, you know, what he says in his text here, which is, you know, uh, we became such good friends just because of the, you know, the camaraderie and mutual respect and, um, you know, willing to help one another. I think you're not going to, you're not going to learn all of those things in like patience and kindness and um, like love for your teammates and stuff like that. Like, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Well, you could, I guess, but that's, you get it in sports, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's hockey was such a, uh, an important part of my life because I built all of these relationships with all these amazing guys that I otherwise would not have known. And so you, you know, you, um, you meet these people and you kind of find out where they come from and what their backgrounds are. And, you know, you, uh, I don't know, it, you, you kind of do your schoolwork with them on, you know, off the ice. And then when you get on the ice, it doesn't matter if you, you know, flunk the test or whatnot, it's just, you're trying to, trying to win one for the team, you know? So, um, yeah, Justin, I had many, if I was a proctor in boarding school, which is like a RA, I don't know if you mentioned this. No, but, he did uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pretty sweet gig at Williston. If you, it, it seems so stupid now, but like if you uh, achieve like high enough grades and you were, um, uh, I guess, a responsible part of the community at Williston, you could be a proctor. So I applied for these three different positions at Williston. One of them was, and it kind of, I'm sure he didn't tell you this story, but I'll tell you this story about go the disciplinary it. committee. Yes, go so for there's, it. So uh, there's, there are three positions that I applied for. One of them was a proctor of the dorm. One of them was uh, to be a, uh, uh, one of the two students in each grade that is on the disciplinary committee. And then the other one was to be like, uh the um what do they call it you're like the director for the local big brothers big sisters program and so i applied to these three positions because i'm like man i got all this time i'm still playing sports and stuff but like as a boarding student you're you're there all day every day you know so it's like if you're not doing schoolwork and you're not doing sports then like you got all kinds of time and that was the best part about boarding school like you get to you get involved in things that you otherwise wouldn't have gotten involved in so i loved it and it, as it kind of turned out, I, uh, all three of those positions, I was like accepted to. So then in boarding, or like if, if you were a proctor, you could live by yourself and you could also have a couch and you could also have a fridge and wow. you could have like a TV and whatnot. So, and you could close your door during study hall. Anyway, so we had study hall every night from eight to 10 
And so I would go in and, you know, check on all the boys. I mean, they were all the hockey guys. So oh, okay. They're like, my, they're like my teammates, you know, uh -huh. I'd be going around. Hey, Chong, you doing your math homework? <laughs> all right, sweet, dude. Just make sure you don't freaking bomb the test. I don't want Cunha to rip me a new butthole tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, being a proctor in the dorm was sweet. And these guys kind of knew that I was tight with all the guys. Mm -hmm. So it was just, a, it was a cool relationship, you know? Like yeah. if you, if you, uh, if you had the, like the guys trust, and like, I knew that they wanted to do well academically and in hockey that like, I would just say, you know, hey, Chong, get your stuff done tonight so that we can go play tomorrow and you don't have to, you know, get, uh, you don't have to uh, skip the game or whatnot. But Justin's funny because that year that I was the proctor, I would always let him just like do whatever he wanted to do along with many of the other guys. Mm -hmm. And then he would come up into, uh, he'd come up to my room along with a couple of the other guys and we would just crank tunes on these Bose speakers that I had and we'd probably do homework and, you know, play video games till, you know, two or three in the morning. Um, and those were probably some of the, the best like memories that I have of boarding school, you know, because, um, it was just sweet hanging out with those guys. And, you know, I got, I built a pretty strong bond with Justin. He's, he's a really good dude. I'll be friends with him forever. That's but. awesome, man. And I think, what I think what it really speaks to is just, um, how great sports are beyond just what goes on the field. I mean, yeah, the numbers 100%. are nice. The statistics are nice, but those numbers and statistics only stay in like those years, you know, but kind yeah. of, as you alluded to the friendships, the bonds, the memories, those last forever. Those really communication, you know, communication, how to, how to, and I think that's, you know, we'll probably get to this as we transition into like medical school, but, you know, I think one of the things that makes me a little different than some of these other med students that we're uh, in school with is that like, I don't mind having great conversations and I don't mind having difficult conversations with team members or with patients, you know, and those conversations are sometimes awkward if you have to like, you know, break some bad news about someone's health or, you know, whatever. So, but it all comes back to sports, you know, like I wouldn't have known how to do all of those things or have those conversations or deliver bad news. Had I not said to Justin, dude, I can't believe you just told me that we're going to have no problem making this freaking soccer team. I'm terrible at soccer. So are you, <laughs> we're going to be lucky if we make this team, you know? <laughs> but yeah, so. Oh man. All right. So speaking of being a little bit different, there's another thing that makes you different from all of the generation Y, Z's, whatever we are. And it's a fact that you don't really have much of a social media presence, which yeah. makes my job harder, but thankfully I had great people <laughs> like Justin and Brian to help me out here. I did find one old photo that um, one of your friends was able to pull up for me. So I just, I just yeah. first want a quick um, reaction to this photo. And I kind of want to ask more about the lack of social media afterwards. Um, so sure. let me just show you the photo first. I think this was pretty good. Holy sheep. I know. Yeah. What do you remember <laughs> about this day? I think this was graduation day. Was it? Yeah. Oh yeah. my Atlanta. Yeah. That hair uh, mat. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yes. Yes. Uh, graduation at Williston. Yeah. Justin looks pretty similar. I would say I look a little different, but um, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was graduation obviously mm -hmm. at Williston mm -hmm. and uh, it was a pretty small class, like from Montgomery where I was at, it was like 450, I think a class. But when I went to Williston, we graduated, I think there was like 95 of us. So it was much smaller and you get to know everybody in the, in the classroom, but 
also back there, I can't remember the chicks' names. I know that was <laughs> Aunt Hannah, but there at the time I was dating this other girl, and uh, those were her friends. Gotcha. And I okay. just introduced them to Justin, and one of them was into Just, so it's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good pick. Yeah, a good throwback. But I kind of want to ask you because like, you know, like it's different. Like a lot of, uh, most of us in our generation per se are really up, almost to obsession, like just really into social media. Um, yeah. You've kind of chosen a different path where you really don't have any of these accounts. Um, it even to the point where Emily, your current fiance, your fiance, she, when she was trying to like get to know who you were when she first met you, she couldn't find anything online to really go off of. So yeah, I kind of want to ask you like, what what drew you to not having as much of an online presence as a lot of our a lot of the rest of us generation people do? And yeah, yeah I just kind of want to hear more about that. So I think social media is great if you want to stay in touch with people that you can't see you know, and you can't like go visit if you can't go to, you know, like I have a friend, Constantine Blecker. He was my roommate in boarding school. He's from Germany. I can't just go visit Constantine on a Friday or something like that, you know? So I would say social media is great for keeping in touch with people that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to keep in touch with. I think social media, if used like to uh, such a large extent that it becomes problematic. And I think it's one of the things that uh, is like wrong with our society right now is we just, we put too much emphasis on all this stuff. You know, it's like, if you can see somebody like Kim Kardashian buy a, you know, $200,000 car. Now everybody has to buy a $200,000 car. And like, you don't, you're not successful if you don't have that $200,000 car or you don't have that $5 million home or whatever the case may be. So mm -hmm. I think it's unfortunate. I, I don't know. So I have always just stayed away from it because I'm mm -hmm. not a very like materialistic person. And so I also would say that uh, I like being like in the here and the now, like with whatever company I'm kind of with. And so if you're on your phone and you're constantly scrolling through Instagram and you know, you're not given that person that you're with your undivided attention, well, that sucks. You know, that sends a message to, to Chong. Well, Hey dude, you know, this podcast is great, but I'm going to keep scrolling through Instagram and like in view all of my followers and see if I can get more likes and stuff. I don't know. I just, I think it's a good tool, but I think it's unfortunate that it's gone too far. And now it's to some people's detriment where their focus is not on the right things, at least in my opinion. And uh, you lose the, you lose the ability to form those friendships, you know, like we were just talking about Justin and how amazing he is and you know freel and how amazing that dude is and if if you have social media and you like my sister is she loves social media i mean she probably puts up you know when she brushes her teeth and then when she you know uh bakes a cake whatever i mean it's okay. everything right it's like five posts a day or something like that i love my sister but um i just think it could go too far and it becomes detrimental to that person if that's your only focus you know what i mean it's like man i think of simon sinek a lot and uh because he talks about this stuff and like the little burst of dopamine that you get and when you get you know a like or you get you know uh a couple of new followers or whatever and it's that that's social media you know like it's um it's the same reward system as you know, drinking a beer or gambling or, you know, doing drugs or whatnot. And I just don't think we have any 
like um i don't know there's no like restrictions on it and i think we need to you know because mm -hmm. it's it, it's uh it's manifesting as we are a society that can no longer talk to one another you know it's like we no. we we talk to one another through emojis and like text messages which i get there's obviously like a need to have a text message sent out or you know it's sweet to use an emoji or something like that but how about those conversations that you need to have that says hey chong i heard your mom's got you know stage four glioblastoma hey how's she doing you know can you tell me a little bit more about it other than like hey dude i saw your post hope everything's going well you know what i mean so i don't know i don't think it's terrible but i think if used in excess just like anything else it can be detrimental you know no i think but. you brought up a lot of good points i mean younger me used to be obsessed with like what time do i post my picture do yeah. i have the right filter on are more yeah. people going to be able to see this and yeah i think you can definitely get to a point of obsession and on top of that too it can really wreck your mental health if you really get 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. if you see somebody that's got five thousand friends and you only have 400 you're like man what am i doing wrong do people not like me you know what i mean it's like no people just you're not that important <laughs> you <know? Yeah>. like, <laughs> come on it's like get over yourself go out and like go i don't know go uh, volunteer at the church or go play sport or whatever go go somewhere else where i promise you you could you know develop a friendship or you know a friend base that would be much much stronger than any social media follower or like friend that you're gonna have i don't know so yeah, so I probably have a really jaded view on the whole thing, but anyway, go ahead. No, I think you're all a good points. I, I think you and I would both agree like, keep it in moderation. Your worth is yeah. not valued on a like or 100% or a comma or whatever. Um, 100%. Everything is better in moderation for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. So, kind of want to switch gears to you mentioned volunteering. Um, and okay. so during your time at a uh, Holy Cross College, um, you were pretty mm -hmm. involved with something called um, Holy Cross Goes Unified, which I yep. believe is um, associated with Special Olympics. So why don't yeah. you first tell me like what was Holy Cross Goes Unified and what led you to volunteer in this kind of area? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to what you were asking me before when I uh, when Friel told you about that summer that I spent in New Jersey um working for special olympics yeah exactly yeah these are the picks so um i don't know man like i had a i had a blast in new jersey you know working for this summer for special olympics it was incredible right i got to meet all these different athletes in new jersey everybody was celebrated you know it was just a big party everybody was happy you know your morale gets boosted everybody's having a great time and then i came back to holy cross pretty, pretty good Catholic school. And I'm like, oh, surely they'll have like a special Olympics, you know, team or a special Olympics club or something like that. And so, uh, yeah, I went back to Holy Cross and much to my surprise, they didn't. And so I kind of took it upon myself to just um, start a program. And so we called it, one of the things in special Olympics are unified sports and unified sports. The goal is to take a handful of athletes who don't have an intellectual disability and then a handful of athletes that do have an intellectual disability, combine them, put them together, put them on the same field and just play sports, right? So they have unified basketball, they got unified soccer, they've got pretty much any other sport that they have, unified bocce, unified bowling. So any sport that Special Olympics has, they also have these unified teams, which are incredible. So I wanted to do that exact same thing at Holy Cross. And so uh, 
I had a couple buddies that I met at Holy Cross that could kind of help me along with this thing. And that's what we did. So when I went back my sophomore year, after I had that sweet, uh, that summer of freshman year, after freshman year at Special Olympics, New Jersey, I came back sophomore year and we started this. And so uh, we linked up with Special Olympics, Massachusetts, and we found some, some pretty amazing families and parents and kids and athletes and stuff. And man, it was awesome. It, it spread like wildfire on the Holy Cross campus. And there were kids, I would say, this was probably one of my, one of my goals. And it, I didn't know it at the time, but when I, you know, kind of left Holy Cross and towards, you know, the last couple of days and weeks at Holy Cross, I, I reflected back and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. There were a couple guys like this guy right here uh, in the blue shirt, mm-hmm. um, Tommy, he worked in the dining hall. And Tommy, um, you know, uh, Tommy was, you know, kind of a, just a general dishwasher, cleaning up plates, stacking plates, stacking cups, you know, making things, um, making sure the salad bar was completely full. And, you know, they had all just a, you know, just a cafeteria guy. So um, when I first met Tommy, when I was there freshman year, he was always just kind of stuck in the back, you know, and not many people talked to him. And towards the end of my uh, four years at Holy Cross, Tommy was like the man. We got these unified jerseys and everybody on the campus knew him. And it wasn't just what, what was cool about it is I got, you can see some of them like that dude. I don't remember his name, but the guy like straight ahead all the way in the back, that's mm-hmm. actually wearing soccer shorts and soccer socks. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I asked the Holy Cross, like the division one soccer guys and girls. And then I asked the division one basketball teams, guys and girls, if they would do unified with us. So here you have these amazing division one, you know, athletes that are playing along with these kids that are never going to get the opportunity to go to college. And it completely turned, you know, their like some of these athletes, it completely turned their, you know, demeanor around and like mm-hmm. it broke them out of their shell and they're like, Holy smokes, I'm going to Holy cross for college. You know what I mean? So at the end of the four years, Tommy was then wearing his unified Jersey around town and everyone knew who he was, you know? Oh, wow. So yeah, it was a, it was a pretty cool, uh, I don't know if I would have gotten the same response had I gone to a different different college, but Holy Cross is great just because everybody was looking to, you know, volunteer and join, you know, a uh, an organization or something. And so I think just that simple fact combined with the fact that the mission statement was just to play sports on Sunday nights um, was great. And, and uh, Holy Cross really embraced it, which was awesome. So a question I want to ask you about this is that um, yeah, obviously the impact on the students who are doing this athletes who are doing this are a huge right like you're giving them time to be themselves you're teaching them some skills with the sport etc but i kind of want to turn around what did these um what did these um, athletes and students teach you um during your time at special olympics yeah i think that's a that's an excellent question something i used to think about very very much and sometimes i still do um you know, I, I think you can appreciate this when you're taking some of these exams or you're, you know, you got these awful nights where you don't want to study or, you know, uh, you've got these uh, extended periods of time where you're just grinding it out, trying to crank through to finish these, you know, board exams or whatnot. Um, everybody hits a road, you know, and they're like, I don't want to study anymore. This sucks. I don't know why I'm doing this. Why did I decide to go to med school? This is terrible. 
and you you think back to those experiences where you're like man if only you know i i uh just gave it a little bit more or like i'm doing it for tommy or i'm doing it for kelly or i'm doing it for any one of these athletes that will never have the opportunity to to be in the same shoes that i am and so like pay it was all the same stuff that i kind of learned in hockey it just reinforced you know just on a different playing field patience love kindness camaraderie you know uh, uh learning how to effectively communicate with people and I would say one of the things that was distinctly different about how I interacted with the athletes. Um, and even now, like there's, there's patients that I see who have disabilities in the hospital and it's the same deal. Like I treat them the same way. I can tell you from experience that none of these athletes ever want to be like talked down to, or they don't want to like, you know, you don't, they don't want them to like, you know, be sympathized with, or they don't want to like, you know, speak in very simple terms, you know, like, because, besides the fact that like I don't know they might you know have certain physical abnormalities or you know they might be uh, uh, a little slower to solve a quadratic equation I mean these athletes are incredible there was this dude uh, Steve Austin he was autistic when he worked at Special Olympics and I got to know him and this dude memorized the train schedules on the NJ Transit oh, and wow. so I would get done at work and go into New York city, you know, on a weekend or something. And he'd be like, Matt, you got to get out of here, man. There's a 5:34 and it's an express train. It'll take 69 minutes to get into New York Penn station. And I'm like, Oh dude, I'm not going to be able to make it. Steve, what's the next one? And he's like, well, after the, you know, 6:34, there's a, you know, a 7:03, but it's not an express train. It's going to take you a little bit longer. So I oh, guess wow. my point is, I guess my point is, uh, is all of these athletes have, different skills and they're bringing different things to the table which um which is what makes a, a team a, a great team and just a society a great society if you can celebrate those gifts and you can recognize those gifts and some of these athletes which is you know pretty much all we did it's it's amazing so i would say it just reinforced a lot of the things that i had learned in in other sports before but you know, obviously working with this particular population is pretty special. And man, all they want to do is have fun. And uh, it's, it's a, it's an incredible organization, especially I'll be, I'll work in some capacity with or for Special Olympics for the rest of my life, because I think in some aspects of my life, it completely saved me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it kind of goes both ways, like, right. So there was like a real need for something like this um, yeah. at the Holy Cross community. And um Thanks to you and the other guys who were um, part of this project, you guys were able to fill that need. And um, yeah. it seems like it worked as a two-way street, right? Because obviously had a big impact on you. I'm sure it had a big impact on the other volunteers there. You mentioned the mm -hmm. athletes who were there. So really, really cool saying that um, that happened at uh, Holy Cross. So um, really, really cool saying. All right. So I want to skip ahead a little bit um, because okay. I definitely want to make sure we fit this part um, of your story in the interview. And that is your okay. most recent trip that um, you and Emily had in Europe. Um, and you. obviously there's one big event that happened that we will get to. <laughs> it's just a, just, just a slightly big event there. Um, but I yeah. first want, I want to warm up with this question though. Which was more of a transportation challenge for you and Emily? Was it, drawing a, was it, was it driving a small car through the hills of Ireland to get to the Cliffs of Moher? 
<laughs> or was I riding? Or was I riding a tiny motorcycle with both of you on it? I'm in the middle of Italy. <laughs> Which one was more of a challenge? Would you say? Oh man, uh, I would say driving. A, a, a small car where the steering wheel is on the other side of the car <laughs> was more challenging for me. And I thought that I was going to kill us, you know, uh-huh. um, man, taking a left turn on, <laughs> oh, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. And taking a right, it was, look it was at this awful. car, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes. There you go. Um, yeah, I would say that the, uh, driving that car was more challenging for me. And I would say driving the moped, you know, down to like, you know, Palermo and the Amalfi coast was a bigger challenge for Emily when, cause she was on the back. And, you know, when I had, what I had proposed, Hey, let's get a, you know, a little motorcycle and let's rip it down to Palermo or the Amalfi coast. She was like, uh, I don't know about that, but I guess we can go check it out. So we went and checked it out. And, uh, I told her, whatever you do, don't lean against me. Just lean with me. <laughs> Obviously. What do you think she does? For the first, yeah, oh man, oh, it was terrible. It was awful. Uh, you can't appreciate it, but there, and I know some of the people that will listen to this who have been here kind of like will know, but mm-hmm. those cliffs, dude, it just, it drops down like, you know, 300 feet. It's crazy. And the roads are, you know, pretty tiny and whatnot. But anyway, this was on the way back up. So Emily was pretty happy. And, uh, but going down, <laughs> she was, she was crying. Oh, and uh, yeah, oh, it was awful. Every single turn that we took, she would lean the opposite way, the total opposite. Oh, so I not with because she probably saw it was like you know, equalize it out, but that's technically what you're not supposed to do, right? Hey, precisely, yeah. yeah. So here I was thinking, you know, uh, we were gonna be a okay, and literally every turn she was turning against me, but then on the way back up, I think she kind of understood and she realized that we weren't gonna die. and uh, if she leaned with me, everything would be much better. And then she was a champ and she crushed it and it worked out a lot better. So, but, uh, yeah, both of those, man, those, those were both great experiences. That was, those were pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. What were the clips of Moore's like? Cause I know you guys had somewhat of a limited time because you're trying to fit yeah. this in a day. Um, but what yeah, was no it doubt. like, what was it like once you conquered the red car, you finally got there no accidents yeah. and uh, everything turned out great. What did it feel like when you finally got there? Oh man, it was beautiful. Uh, probably one of the most beautiful. Yeah, exactly. My hair looks a little questionable. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it being very, very windy. Yeah. Um, but dude, it was incredible. I mean, we, you can kind of see it, but you kind of can't, but I'd say halfway through the picture where there's like that little Island out there, that's how far we kind of walked up along that. And same thing. I mean, you could see it just straight down. So um, it was uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place. And I would encourage, you know, anybody, uh, if they have the opportunity and, you know, the resources to go there. Ireland, for sure, was one that um, Emily and I agreed we would like to go back to. Uh, and I wish that we had appropriated more time to be in Ireland because their culture was awesome. The people were sweet. You know, there's, uh, there was just a lot of really good food to eat, a lot of beers to drink, obviously. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was cool culture. I think for sure Ireland and, uh, Iceland were, were up there on the list for us. No doubt. So even though this was a really nice picture of you guys, and obviously a great memory there, 
I think a bigger yeah. memory that you and Emily will probably have is your time in Paris, France. Um, so, okay. So I've heard the story from Emily, but I want to hear okay. the story straight from you. Um, tell me <laughs> what was it like engaging, getting, engage, getting engaged to Emily? Because I believe it involved some sandwiches and a random teenager. So yeah, yeah, yeah I'll yeah. let you, I'll let you hit the floor for that one. What was that day like? Um, yeah. So, uh, I had bought the engagement ring and, um, I stuffed it in my hiking boot and I wrote like a little message on there because this was like 10 days into the trip. So I was sweating bullets, man. I wanted to get this thing off of me and give it to her. But this dress, you know, we were backpacking for a month. And so uh, we didn't have a lot of clothes. You know, everything that we had was in our in our bags. And so Emily, the, this was the this was like the nice outfit that we both brought, you know, like my nice button down shirt, which obviously isn't like the nicest shirt and Emily's uh, dress that she had bought. And so she her mom had asked me, when are you going to propose to her? And I told her the first night that she wears this dress. It could be in Iceland, it could be in Ireland, it could be in, you know, uh, France, it could be in Hungary, Italy, I have no idea, but the first night that she wears it. So anyway, fast forward, not surprisingly, the first night she wore it was in Paris. So I don't know if she had like a hunch that this might be going down or what, but um, she wears that and that night, uh, I like, we had this backpack that we were bringing and we would put all of like the most important things I kind of messed with her a little bit because I think she was hopeful that it would happen. But I came out and I was like, hey, do you think I could just wear this white tee? Like, <laughs> this would be cool, right? Like, we don't, I mean, we're not, we're not like dressing up. We're not going out to eat or anything. And white tee's cool, right? And she's like, yeah, wear whatever you want. And then I made a special point when we were in the hotel room. I said, hey, whatever, you know how like we always put the most important valuables like in this particular pocket? Go ahead and put your valuables in that pocket because I wanted her to know that like there was no ring in there. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was in my pocket, you know? So nice. anyway, we, uh, let's fast forward, grab a couple sandwiches, grab a couple bottles of my way. And we go to obviously the Eiffel tower. And, um, she is a little, we're the, I forgot exactly how long we were in it, but on the, the train that we were going to the Eiffel Tower, the, we lost power. So then we were like kind of sweating bullets because we didn't know if we were going to make our particular time to go up the tower. And I'm like, holy smokes, now I'm going to get rushed into proposing and just a nightmare. So uh, yeah, anyway, we, we get there and I'm trying to scope it out, look for somebody who you know is not a scammer or like mm -hmm. a complete stranger. And I see this kid, he's wearing a uh, Yukon University of Connecticut sweatshirt. And I'm like, hell yeah, that's the, that's the kid. You know, it's like a 13 year old kid with his mom coming to the Eiffel to that's it, you know? So I walk over to the kid and I'm like, hey man, you want to make a quick 20 bucks? He like looks at me and then looks back at his mom. He's like, what, who the hell is this kid? Who is this guy? You know, this is a complete stranger. And so I tell him, I'm like, hey, like, trust me, I get it. You know, I saw the Yukon sweatshirt and, you know, uh, it's, are you guys from Connecticut? And, you know, Stark, uh, stoke up a little small talk. And I explained to him what I'm going to do, which is, hey, I want you to take my phone and take a couple pictures of Emily and I, please, with the Eiffel Tower in the background. I'm going to come down to like where you are and I'm going to look at the pictures on the phone. And then when I go back up, I am going to ask you Oh, they were there. I'm going to tell you they were kind of blurry and then, you know, take a couple more. And when I go back up there, I'm going to propose to her. 
and you got to take like as many pictures as possible. And was this on the fly? So the kid, like were these lines yo, complete, on the fly? <laughs> completely on the fly. Completely wow. on the fly. Yeah, completely on the fly. So the kid, the kid, oh man, I'll never forget it. He looks back to his mom and he like is in a state of like panic. And he says, mom, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm like ready for this. I'm like, kid, don't, don't, don't do this to me. You know, I need you to do this. So I gave him the 20 bucks and he crushed it. The funniest part about the whole situation is I'm looking down, like, obviously we're looking towards the camera because he's taking pictures of us after we, you know, do the engagement. And then uh, I look down and his mom is in the background videotaping the whole thing of him taking pictures of us. Oh my gosh, I was dying. <laughs> so that kid, man, I don't know. He, yeah, that kid was a legend. I never got his number and his name. And stuff, <laughs> but, I mean, he, uh, he, I'm sure he'll talk about that for the rest of his life, you know? Oh, absolutely. What so, a memory. I mean, obviously a big memory for you guys, but what a good, what a yes. cool story for him to tell as well. Oh, he crushed it. He crushed it. I don't think he was ready for it, but he couldn't, uh, I mean, he probably took 50 pictures, which is perfect. <laughs> so that Emily could, you know, pick out the one that she wanted and one, the ones that she didn't want, but it was perfect. It was awesome. <laughs> and wasn't, and just to clarify, while you're setting yeah. this up with the, with this kid from UConn, Emily was like, yeah looking for the tour guide right because you guys were like oh yeah a little bit behind <laughs> oh yeah she was freaking out yeah yeah <laughs> freaking out so like she wasn't she was we were in a state of panic because we booked the tickets so late that like they weren't available so my mom booked us a uh, like a tour guide to go up there and of course we missed the tour guide because we were late and so uh, it was just a cluster. Um, everything worked out and we were able to go to the top and, you know, we took a couple more picks and stuff, but, um, oh yeah, man, it was, it was not good. She was on like high alert and she was thinking we weren't going to go to the top, which of course she wanted to do. And, you know, I wanted to do, but I was, you know, freaking out, wanting to get this ring off of me. And so anyway, it was all good. <laughs> it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty high stress time though at, at <laughs> that exact moment. But you know what, though, I think I think it's those kind of stories that like make it special, right? Because like, yeah, you see the ones in the movies that like everything is smooth, like nothing goes, everything goes without a hitch, blah blah blah. But yeah. it's a slightly like slightly messy, slightly chaotic, um, but like everything just turns out well. Like for example, like you found a kid in the middle of Paris un under the Eiffel <laughs> Tower who was wearing yeah. a Yukon sweatshirt, like. The odds of yeah. that happening are pretty astronomical, Dude, quite honestly. Yeah, right? well, yeah, I mean, you're. It's again, it, it kind of goes back to one of the themes that you that you've been, you know, reinforcing here, like the ability to just communicate with a complete and total stranger. You know, mm -hmm. like had I not played hockey and had I not, you know, done Special Olympics, I don't know. It's just you kind of go in there and you're. A, what's the worst thing that happens? The kid says no. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you. Then you just go to the next stranger. Yeah, you just try again. They don't take your twenty bucks and your iPhone and run. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I thought that uh, the twelve-year-old that probably had an older brother at UConn would would be a good, you know, good place to start, and he crushed mm -hmm. it. It was awesome. Well, but, congratulations to you and Emily. Um, yeah, one on the successful you. engagement, and um, also for the upcoming wedding as well. So, um, congratulations yes, sir. to you too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank All you. right. We have a little bit of time left. So I just want to ask one more question before I let you yeah, go up. here. Sure. Um, so last year was a big year for you guys as for both you and Emily as well, because of a different reason. And it's a, it's a 
certain little furry critter named Maverick. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you recently became, well, how, how, how long have you had Maverick for at this point? Uh, we got him in June, the day Emily picked me up after I finished step one and we drove up to Illinois and picked that little fur ball up. Nice. So oh, about over half a year or no way about nine months at this point. Um, yeah. So you want to show everyone how cute the dog is. It's so cute. He was born in, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> Maverick. Yeah, yes. he's a. Uh, he is a riot. Some days I want to boot his ass off of the balcony <laughs> and other, other days I, you know, I can't get enough of him. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to ask you about um, being a recently new uh, dog dad here. Um, yeah, I guess it. it's like, what's in what ways has Maverick helped strengthen the relationship between you and Emily? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great question. Um, it, uh, it most certainly can be stressful because it uh it it's um you know when you get done with a 14 hour shift or an 18 hour shift that she just finished the last thing that she wants to do is you know take them downstairs and outside to go to the bathroom or to feed them or whatever she hasn't slept or something you know so um i would say the having the conversations where like hey i'll pull a little more slack today if you can pull a little more slack tomorrow you know like we got to work together to make this thing happen but uh, all in all, I mean, we were just watching a movie earlier today and she had said, I love our little family and mm -hmm. couldn't agree more, you know, mm -hmm. because it's, it most certainly has brought us closer together and it's given us something that we both, you know, care a lot about, uh, outside of medicine, kind of like you're, yeah. you know, beyond the books here. It's, mm -hmm. um, sometimes you just get so caught up in medicine and in medical school and, you know, and, and working and stuff that you don't, you don't step back and say, well, what's it all, what, what's it all about anyway? You know what I mean? Like, does it, does it really matter if I can, you know, get to, you know, uh, some climb the academic ladder or some academic pursuit? Like what, what, if, if that's your, that's your goal? Absolutely. But I think we both share, um, you know, a, a feeling, uh, we both come from pretty strong uh, family, like, family ties and immediate families both of our families are pretty close and so it's family is really important to both of us and uh i would say maverick's the the first step in the right direction for both of us and couldn't couldn't be a better idea you know and uh some days it's tough but i would say the the advantages of having them far outweigh the disadvantages of you know having them absolutely and um how old so maverick's six, about over six months right now so he was born, uh, I'm sure if Zach Lee listens to this and Isaac, they'll, they'll <laughs> laugh, but he was born on 420. Oh, lovely. So, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. So uh, he is coming up on a year. Yeah, he's wow. coming up on a year. But uh, yeah, so we picked him up in June, but he's he kind of, he was a little furball at the time. He's grown quite a bit now, but yeah, all good. Yeah. Well, Matt, we did it. I think we have definitely crushed the goal here, proving that you're most definitely more than a medical student. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to thank you for um, joining me today and um, giving an awesome interview. Yeah, I would say one last thing. What's you'll, up? You'll meet, you'll meet a lot of these guys when you come, you know, to our wedding. Is uh, I'm still playing hockey, so. Okay. And one little story I'll tell. Quickly. Yeah, go for it. Uh, go for it. When go I it. when I interviewed, and I, we were just talking about this last night when I was with Zach and Isaac. One thing um, 
I was interviewing at Wake Forest and for med school. And one of the interview questions that they had was, well, what is your backup plan if you don't get into medical school? Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And I, this was probably too bold of me. I shouldn't have said this, but um, one, it like popped into my mind right away. And I'm like, should I stay? Should I not? And I didn't even like have a thought process. I just like said it. I said, well, actually, med school is like my backup plan. I wanted to be a professional <laughs> hockey player and go to the NHL. And like, there were no masks at the time. So you should have seen this physician's jaw just like drop and go to the ground. Oh my but at gosh. The same, but at the same time, it opened up a sweet conversation. You know, then we talked about hockey and, you know, uh, the hurricane, uh, you know, like the Carolina Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was awesome. So is that, that your team, then, the Hurricanes? Well, they were down in, you know, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But now Buffalo Sabres all day, Sabres. baby. Okay. Sabres. All right. And uh, the last thing I was going to say was you'll meet some of these guys. I'm still playing. Uh, I played for the Weasels. It's a, it's a okay. men's league team. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a men's league team up in uh, Fishers. So a great okay. bunch of dudes. And uh, it's once, once a hockey player, always a hockey player kind of thing, you know? Well, go yeah. Weasels. Matt, thank go you weasels, so much. Go Weasels, baby. Yes, go Weasels. Thank you so much for joining me for this interview today. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, everyone, um, thank Matt today for an awesome interview. Thank to his <laughs> friends and uh, his fiance as well for giving me some information to work off of here. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to check out more episodes of Beyond the Books, check out YouTube and Spotify. Go ahead and search Beyond the Books Med. You can find all of the latest episodes there. Uh, so everyone have a good night and have a great week. You're listening to Beyond the Books with your host, Alex John.